0: have something for you tonight. You cannot live without hope. I'm going to come back to that. can't live without hope. Well, when we last met you, you had a bald guy finish the service in a swing. You got another bald guy. That guy was like, could you tell, a little excited. <laughs> swinging with hope, swinging with joy, feeling the push of the Father, propelling him forward, just like some of you want a push from God. He talked about some wonderful things. I mean, he was all over the stage and all over the page of Scripture, and I loved it. He talked about Ruth and Boaz and Brocas. Somebody said that 20 years ago, uh, we had Johnny Cash... Bob Hope and Steve Jobs, now we got no cash, no hope, and no jobs, but we got John Tisovich. That's a big deal. He could just be a little more excited when he preaches, that's all I want, but we're excited. Thank you for showing such a warm whitewater welcome to John uh, and Kelly, and our crowds were so good. Last week, uh, actually, we ran out of bulletins at the second service, and we ran out of coffee. We've never had so many coming to our campus and watching online, so welcome tonight, and welcome those of you who are watching online. We think that this series, this campaign of hope, is something that's spreading and multiplying out in ways we cannot even imagine. I continue to get emails daily, and we'll be sharing some of those uh, with you as we go forward, daily emails about people who said, David, let me tell you my story of hope. Let me tell you my story of despair. I hope you are getting something out of this that we intended. It, I, I think that whenever we start a series, I try to say, you know, God, what do you want to do in this series that we haven't planned? What do you want Holy Spirit, what do you where do you want to work in some way that we can't even figure out? And God is doing that. He's answering our prayers. We we are getting stories of people who were in despair, who were ready to, we're gonna talk about tonight, take their life. But God, as John talked about, but God is intervening. So we want you to continue to spread hope, amplify hope, multiply hope, ripple hope out. Two weeks from tonight, we're having a special service on Thursday night. It won't be our typical Thursday service because we're going to invite the Sunday crowd in for a special night of Songs of Hope. Same time, 6.30, two weeks from tonight. So if you like to worship and you like to connect with God through that, February 27th, two weeks, that's your, th- that's your time. Write that down. And I'll say it once again. I've said it several times. Hope is the best. Dope, man. You're getting, you're getting. way to go. Here's how I know this. I got an email this week. Here's one of those emails I was talking about from a guy named Greg. Greg wrote, David, I am a hope addict, and the hope pusher, John, that you had at church last night gave me the best fix I've ever had in a long time. Hope was in the air. You could smell its sweet aroma in the sanctuary. If I must confess, I inhaled it with all my spirit and every fiber of my being. It was some good stuff, man. (laughs) I, I don't know Greg's story, but I can tell you where I think he might be coming from before God and hope got in his life. The best part is I ain't crashing, no withdrawals, no flashbacks, no hangovers. I'm looking forward to taking another hit of hope. How many of those hope dealers do you have on the premises anyway? You can't make this stuff up. I bring my hope stash, the Bible, to church. I keep a stash of hope Bibles in the car. My main stash of Bibles is at home. Anyway, if you and John ever want to get together and do a couple lines of scripture, I'm ready to get my hope buzz on. This dude has a history. I don't know what the history of, but it's a history. We love those. So we are hoping that the that ram- that ramifications of hope pervade every area of your life, that what we-, we talk about here just doesn't stay here, that it ripples out. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been pretty upbeat. We've been pretty positive. We've been swinging with hope, and we've been talking about finding hope, and that's cool. We talked about Joshua. We talked about Ruth. I love that. But tonight, I want to just take a step back and talk to you about some men in the Bible who lost hope. Because for everybody that finds hope, there is a season, first of all, where you lose hope. And some of you watching online, some of you here tonight, man, what a great crowd. Last Thursday night, crowds are growing. I love that. But in a a crowd this size, in a church this size, there are somebody who is on the verge of losing hope and I hope to talk with you tonight. I want to cover some men. One was younger. His name was Absalom. One was middle-aged. His name was David. He was the king of Israel. One was older. His name was Ahithophel. Say that with me. Ahithophel. I'm going to teach you a new name you never heard probably of Ahithophel. David and Absalom are highlighted in our hope devotional guide. I hope that you are reading this. There's some available out uh, in the atrium, in the landing. I hope you're reading, keeping up with your reading every day. There's something for you. It talks about David and Absalom. But let me talk about Absalom first. He was the son of King David, and I'll just say it this way, as the young people might say it, Absalom was a hottie. He really was, much like me. I, I His story begins in 2 Samuel 14, verse number 25. Listen to how the Bible describes this guy named Absalom. This is going to come back to haunt him, so hold on. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as who? Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was not a blemish in him. Notice about his hair. I hate this guy. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he he used to cut his hair once a year, (laughs) the barber didn't make a lot. He used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. All the females would love to have this guy's hair. He would weigh it when he finally got his hair cut, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. That's about five pounds, I did the math that's some heavy head of hair. This is kind of like Brad Pitt with longer hair. He's a good looking guy. I I don't know if you noticed this, by the way. I saw a, um, a picture of Brad Pitt. He was at a social gathering, and this cracked me up. He was wearing a name tag that said Brad Pitt. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Brad Pitt, does he not, do people not know who he is? Well, this would be Absalom, just with longer hair. He didn't even need a name tag for people to know this guy. When he walked in the room, he was all that. He was young. He was pretty. And by the way, he was a tad haughty because when you're young, and those of you who are young here, I know you don't believe this. When you are young, you think you're never going to get old. When you are under 50, I would say when you are under 30 especially, you're like, uh, you're just already checked out because you you don't think you're going to get old. But I can tell you right now, you're going to get old. Sooner or later, old man wrinkle comes for all of us. From the age of 25 on, changes in your body start to kick in. You look down one day and you look at your hands and you realize, you know what, I'm looking at my parents' hands. Where did my hands go? These are my parents' hands. It's happened to me. Your weight, when, as you age, shifts from the poles of your body toward the equator of your body. I can't explain it. You, that Absalom hair you were so proud of stops growing where you want it to and boldly goes where no hair has gone before. Well, Absalom had the looks, but because of the looks, he had the vanity, and he also had some rage issues and when you combine vanity and rage together, it's a bad combo. He set up a pillar as a monument to himself, and he even named the pillar Absalom's monument. Absalom's, I mean, that's how haughty and egotistical he was. He wanted a monument, a pillar, and everybody knew, what's that? That's Absalom's monument. That's Absalom's pillar. Before we judge this guy, could we just admit That some of us build monuments ourselves to ourselves on Instagram, or we vent our rage on Facebook. Absalom felt he was a victim. And if you come into the building tonight thinking that you are a victim, hold on because Absalom and Ahithophel, that long name I just gave you earlier, are going to teach you something. Because here's what I know you cannot hold up the banners of victim and victory at the same time. If you have a victim mentality, you're never going to have a victorious life. But Absalom lost hope, he became bitter, and that bitterness led him to become estranged eventually from his father, King David. Eventually, Absalom rose up in rebellion against his father to take the throne, and as you can imagine, this is a very painful time for David, his father. Someone once said that when your children are small, they step on your toes, and when you get older, they step on your heart. Can any of parents relate to that? This is especially true for wayward children. Don't raise your hand, but is there anybody here, anybody watching who has a wayward child? Maybe they're a little estranged from you. You understand what David is going through with his own boy. Some of us, it would make our day. It would make our year. It would make our life if that child that's dissident and estranged from us would walk into Whitewater Crossing Church. Oh, it would not make our day. Well, let me show you the degree of rebellion that Absalom sunk to against his father. 2 Samuel chapter 15, uh, verse 1, here's what it says. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. So he, he needed a crew. He needed an entourage. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look. Your claims are, are here are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king here to hear you. Notice how he's starting to undermine the authority and the office of the king. Absalom would also add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then anyone and everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. We would call that in leadership world an in run. You understand what I'm saying? They don't go to the person, they in run everybody. To get to the boss, and they enter on the boss. Also, whenever, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom, notice how nice he is. He's a consummate politician. He reached out, he would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. David is the king. But Absalom wants to be the king. And as part of this betrayal and rebellion, Absalom then sends for this second man I want to talk about tonight, who also lost hope. And I want to introduce you to him and the backstory of his life, because as I got to read more about David, and as I got to read more about Absalom, I could not escape the story of a guy named Ahithophel. Initially, Ahithophel was one of David's inside advisors. Here's the description of Ahithophel's life. Here's how good he was. All Every leader in this room would like an Ahithophel in the early days. It says, now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. <laughs> That's pretty good. If you want to know what God thinks, ask Ahithophel. This is how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Notice how wise this dude is. Interestingly enough, his name Ahithophel means brother of foolishness. But early on, he was anything but foolish. I know some of you all think you're smart, but imagine having on your resume like inquiring of God. Well, Ahithophel fell out with David I'll tell you why in a moment He joined Absalom's rebellion, and this rebellion caused David to flee Jerusalem with his army. A, a father already hurting with his son now has to leave his throne and his city. And while David was vulnerable, Ahithophel advised Absalom to go attack David before he can mount a comeback, but another leader counseled Absalom not to do this. He went against Ahithophel's advice. Take a different approach. And then we read this in 2 Samuel 17, verse 23. Remember I said it is impossible to live without hope. Notice when Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, he set out for his house in his hometown, he put his house in order, and then he hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. What in the world happened to Ahithophel? Tragically, he lost hope. Now let me just pause and call a time out here, because I cannot run past this and tell you the rest of the story of David and Absalom without speaking into this issue of suicide. Let's, let me speak as a pastor to people who are watching online and people in our church about this sensitive subject because death by suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. There are 129 suicides every day in our country. So a couple of observations for you about anybody who you know who completed suicide. And I say completed more than committed because usually suicide starts way back here before it's finally completed with self-harm. Because I'm asked about this a lot. In an age of suicide epidemic of all ages, in an age where people, uh, heroin, opioid overdoses are, are everywhere, when self-inflicted death like Ahithophel occurs, it brings deep sadness, despair, to family and friends, especially in our culture, sometimes on the west side, where we have come to believe that there is no hope for a loved one in their eternity if they take their life. Now I only have a brief time to summarize what I believe. These are always things that I share at funerals. My most often requested sermon is a funeral sermon that I do on this very subject on self-harm, on suicide. So let me give you a couple of things that might help you. Number one, suicide is never in the will of God, never. The Bible says that God has numbered our days. It's not supposed to be a solution. In fact, it causes problems. When we cut our days short, we are usurping the plan of God and dying by suicide leaves our loved ones with horrible guilt, hurt, questions, embarrassment. Having said that, let me hasten to say this. Suicide is a sin, but it is not the unpardonable sin. God-fearing people can and do complete suicide. If you're new, you may not know these names, but they're in the Bible. Samson, Saul, Zimri, Judas, they took their lives. Other major characters in the Bible contemplated suicide, Elijah, Job, Jonah, listen to me, nowhere in the Bible does it say that the sin of suicide is unforgivable. It is my belief that Christians who take their life experience some kind of mental snap, there's a mental illness, there's a depression, even brain disease that triggers that, and that God's grace can even cover that tragedy. There's something not working well there, and I think God chooses to view us through what he knows is going on in our mind. That's why, by the way, we do Mental Health 101 class. It's in your bulletin, February 24th. If you're struggling with discouragement, this is our campaign of hope. Can I just be real with you? Who among us here, who among us has not been where the prophet Elijah was? Depleted, discouraged, hopeless, ready to give up. We may not have chosen the option that Ahithophel did here, but I believe that all of us here can understand the weight of a burden, sometimes unknown, to those all around us. Even Jesus Christ himself told his disciples that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Now, I know in our culture on the west side, someone will say this to me, but David, A person who takes their life, he doesn't, like, have time. He or she doesn't have time to ask for forgiveness. That's true. But let me ask you a question. Is that what forgives you? I'll give you an illustration. Let's say I'm driving down uh, Cincinnati, a side road, and I look up and I see a billboard for Hooters. Not that I'm ever in there. But let's say that I see that Hooters billboard, and there's a scantily clad woman on there, and like a lot of guys, I get fixated while I'm driving on that billboard. Now, you say, David, you would never do that. That's right, I probably wouldn't. Tizovich would. But anyway, I... (laughs) John's going to watch this video, I know. Let's say that while I'm looking at that board, I'm driving, not paying attention, and because I'm, I'm distracted by a beautiful woman... I hit the car in front of me and I die instantly, in my sin of lust. Did I have time to ask for forgiveness? Do you think God would forgive me? You know He would. I don't think God ever judges a person by their final act, good or bad, but by whether we are in a relationship with the God of grace. So your salvation is not dependent on what you do or don't do. It, my salvation, even looking at that stupid Hooters billboard, is dependent on what he did on the cross. So suicide, while a tragedy, is bad. But an even greater tragedy would be for us to dwell, anyone to dwell, on that one moment of weakness or confusion and neglect the rest of that person's life and their relationship with Jesus. So I want to bring you good news of great joy. Take a breath. You are not one good or bad deed away from gaining or losing your salvation. The judge of the universe is fair. He looks at the totality of your life and your relationship. And he knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows if I would have asked for forgiveness for looking at that. And I would have, if I was still alive, asked for that. Don't you think God knows that? We... Often decide whether someone else is going to heaven or not whether we are going by what we do It is a transactional works based religion that is not in the Bible It may have been what we were taught and that's why some of us are so worried Well, David, why do we do all these good deeds if it doesn't matter? You do good deeds not to earn your salvation, but to thank God for the salvation you've already got it's so like, say, God, you're so good to me, you forgave me. I, why would I not want to obey you? I know you want something for me. So I just wanted to come back to our story, because, and I had to share that, because I have so many questions from people, and people who've had loved ones take their life, and they're like, they're gone, I'll never see them again. Mm, I don't know. You don't know the relationship with God. Why did Ahithophel do this? How how and why did Ahithophel go from, like, inquiring of God? Why is this man on the planet to saddling up his donkey, getting his house affairs in order, and hanging himself? I'm not sure what was going on in his mind, just like I'm not sure what's going on in others. But 2 Samuel 23, verse 34, may give us a major clue. And here is what you don't know about Ahithophel. Here we learn in this verse, in 2 Samuel 23, that Ahithophel had a son named Eliam. Eliam had a daughter, and guess what Eliam's daughter's name was? Bathsheba. You ever heard of her? Anybody remember her? Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba, and blood is always thicker than water. His granddaughter, Bathsheba, had an affair with King David. Some of us who know the Bible know this. And because of that, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was killed by David in a conniving attempt to hide his affair and the subsequent pregnancy that ensued. And as a result of that, their child died. So Ahithophel lost his grandson-in-law, his great-grandchild, and let me tell you what, he wanted revenge against David. Ahithophel could not let that go. And he went from one of David's advisors to one of David's opponents, his enemy. And that grudge festered in Ahithophel longer than like Bobby Knight in Indiana University. (laughs) You know, it just went on and on. So I want to say something to some of you who have been wronged by someone. And I'm going to tell you, this is a pretty big wrong when it affects your grandchild like Ahithophel. At some point in your life, you have to make what Christ did for you more important than what people did to you. Some of us are victims. Oh, I get that. Some of us did not deserve what happened to us. But I'm telling you what, if you hold to that root of bitterness, it will destroy your life and it will knock hope all out of it. So I want you to kind of just repeat after me. What Christ did for me, say that with me, what Christ did for me is more important than what someone did to me. The next time someone wrongs you, maybe you should say that. What Christ did for me is more important than what someone did to me. I have a theory a working theory that what got Ahithophel in trouble was the same thing that gets me in trouble. It's the same thing that got Absalom in trouble. It's the same thing that gets some of you in trouble, bitterness. His wisdom was eclipsed by bitterness. And bitterness has a close cousin, it's hopelessness. And if you don't learn to let that go, it will eat you up. Someone said that bitterness and revenge is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. You're the one that's going to get destroyed. And that's why the Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews 12, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Get rid of the root, root out the root of bitterness. And if Ahithophel and Absalom teach us anything, it's this, you can't live without hope. Ahithophel saddled up his donkey. He had no hope. He put his affairs in order. He killed himself. Well, David, the rest of the story as we close, David rebounds. He sends his loyal soldiers on a mission to retake the city. He told his commanders, be gentle with Absalom. I know he's a rebel. I know he has committed insurrection. I know that he's an enemy to you, but he is my son, Please be gentle with him. And notice what happens in 2 Samuel 18, verse number 9. You remember what was Absalom's dominant characteristic. It was his hair, his beauty. Notice what happens now in 2 Samuel 18, verse number 9. Now, Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule And as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair, (laughs) you can't make this up, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding on kept on going. So he's riding under the tree, his hair gets cut, mule going, gets caught. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, who was the leader of David's army, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Would you like to be a part of that conversation? What do you mean he's hanging in an oak tree? His hair's stuck up there. He's trying to get out. That's some thick hair. Let me just pause for a minute. Was his hair a blessing or a curse? See, I think that which makes you the proudest is that which will enslave you and entrap you the most. Your greatest strength will probably be your greatest weakness if you don't humble yourself it will entangle you. I just saw Absalom hanging in the tree. Joab said to the man who had told him this, what, you saw him? Why don't you strike him to the ground right there? Remember, he wants Absalom out of the way. King David, he's loyal to him. I would have given to you 10 shekels of silver in a warrior's belt. Joab said, I'm not gonna wait like this for you. So Joab, he took three javelins in his hand, plunged them into Absalom's heart. While Absalom was still alive in the oak tree, And ten of Joab's armor-bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Wow. Think about that scene. And David is waiting. David is waiting in his command central for the news of the battle. And a messenger finally shows up and says this to him in chapter 18, verse 32. And for all of you... Who have ever had a wayward child. This are the words that you don't want to hear. Verse 32. The king asked the Cushite messenger. Is the young man Absalom safe? And the Cushite replied. May the enemies of my lord the king. And all who rise up to harm you. Be like that young man. And the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway. And he wept. As he wept. And as he went, he said, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh Absalom, my son, my son. Can you imagine the pain and the grief of a parent estranged from a child who dies prematurely with no reconciliation? Some of you in this room, some of you watching online, that's what you've experienced. That's what David is experiencing here. And at the root of hopelessness is this feeling of regret and despair and maybe even anger with God. All three guys in our story tonight lost hope. Absalom lost hope. It led to rebellion. Ahithophel lost hope. It led to suicide. David lost hope. It led to despair. But I want you to notice what David did. He he did exactly opposite of Ahithophel. He brought his lament to God and he wrote actually a psalm about it. That's what psalms are, by the way. Here's the theme of psalms. I can tell you there's 150 of them. Here's the theme. I boil it down. Life is hard, but God is good. That's like the theme of psalms. When life gets hard, remember God is good. And I want to show you, as I close, the psalm, a very short psalm, a song that David wrote. And notice if you have a Bible and you see it online, you'll see it kind of in subscript. It's in italics. Here's what it says. A Psalm of David, when he fled from his son, Absalom. This is what David wrote when, when I did, in the story I just shared for you. Lord, he said, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, our Lord, are a shield around me. I love that. If you're keeping up with your devotional guide in hope, our memory verse this week is from Psalms 38, and it has that same concept. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. You are my shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord. He answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and I sleep. When you don't have hope, you're restless. When your mental health is not good, you, you can't sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Remember our motto, our slogan for this, hope campaign. Fear is the anticipation of evil. Hope is the anticipation of good. Arise, Lord. This is all I love about David. He just says it like his Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. <laughs> you know, just get them, Lord. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. The Jewish people used this psalm whenever they lost hope, and the wicked started to prosper. And David wrote this psalm in one of the darkest hours of his life. Ahithophel took his life. Absalom rebelled and lost his life. David says, I'm going to trust God with my life. And with tear-stained cheeks and a broken heart, David endured a rebellion led by his own son. And I was thinking, and some others were commenting on this text, and it's so true, The Heavenly Father gets this kind of grief because he himself weeps for his wayward, rebellious children who are estranged from him, full of ego, who run away, and God desires nobody to perish. He gets the pain of David. So I just want to end my message with a plea to anyone here who has lost hope. I especially want anyone watching, or anybody in this room, or anybody that will hear it on Sunday, who is so hopeless and in despair to the degree that you are contemplating suicide, don't. I beg of you, don't. We have too many of those. We are here to help. God is here to help. You have a purpose. He matters to you. We love you. You're valuable. Don't let's talk. Don't be like Ahithophel. Maybe it's not suicide you're contemplating, but you're in this season of despair where you need a rock, you need a shield. We're here. David said, from the Lord comes deliverance. So you can take when you're discouraged, when you have no hope, when the swing doesn't work anymore in your life, you can take the Absalom approach, you can take the Ahithophel approach, or you can take the David approach and cry out to God, and hope will slowly return. So as we finish our service tonight, we're going to do one more song, and I'm going to invite all of us here today to go over to this wall in just a moment and stake a claim of hope. It's the hashtag I found hope wall. I'm going to ask you while Laura and our team come, uh, and team Ryan, <laughs> come on. There's a great song that we've been doing. It's kind of our song of hope. I raise a hallelujah. And we're going to invite you after I pray here. We're going to have you stand. And while we're singing this song and while we're worshiping together, I'm encourage you to go over to that wall. There's it's, it's some chalk wall over there. Grab a marker and just write your name. Laura is already in a, a person. Ryan's over there. We're people of hope. Just go over, wait till, you know, till others are gone away and then step up. And you can even do it after service if you want. But we are going to be witnesses. We're signing our name that we're not going to be in despair. We're going to be people, men and women of hope. While you're over there, there's some bracelets as well that are in the baskets. I love this. I started wearing mine and I feel hopeful already right there. I found hope. Grab one of those bracelets, come back, we'll finish the song, I'll come back up in dismissive. This is your moment to do some business with God about your life. And if you are at a place tonight where you are considering what I've been talking about tonight, I'm going to be right down there, would you please come talk to me? I love you more than you can imagine. And God loves you even more than that no hopeless situations only people who have lost hope and we're hope dispensers around here so let me have you stand and i'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing and you head over to the wall let's pray god what jesus christ did for us is more important than what someone did to us We cannot hold up the banners of victim and victory at the same time. So God, tonight, as we write our name on this wall, we declare that hopelessness and despair will not defeat us. We will raise a hallelujah to you. We will take the way of David, not the way of Ahithophel, not the way of Absalom. God, we are going to trust in you. We're going to give our despair to you. And Father, as we now, as a community, ripple out hope, we're going to meet people tomorrow at work, at school, wherever we are, who are desperate for hope. And we have that good news. So God, may we be your ambassadors of hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.